Uphold my steps in your paths, that my footsteps may not slip. Uphold my steps in your paths, that my footsteps may not slip. Let us pray. Father, we're so thankful for your word, and I pray today that as we think about this topic and this concern and this need, and I just pray, Father, that you would change my heart and the hearts of all of us who perhaps it applies to. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Yesterday I had the privilege of uh, once a month, and they have a prayer breakfast over at the Atwater Town Hall, and so they had asked me to come speak. And so I spoke on something there. I'd spoken on this very same topic in one of our prayer breakfasts here before, and that was on the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. And as I thought about the conversion of Saul of Tarsus, I made the point that Saul's conversion is a picture and describes for us uh, what conversion ought to look like. And uh, when we come to conversion, we have, uh, we have this truth that, uh, that in Christ we are changed. Everything changes when a person comes to the Lord. We can't help but be changed. We are born again into the family of God. We are regenerated by the Holy Spirit of God. We are justified. We are sanctified. Everything is made new. That's what Paul said to, to the Corinthians, isn't it? Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are made new. And Saul of Tarsus was such an example of this. Such an example of this. If you consider some of the radical changes, and we're not, I'm not going to preach on Saul of Tarsus this morning. I'm just going to kind of use him to introduce the my topic today, but if you consider some of the radical changes that took place in his life when he met Jesus on the Damascus Road, and if you want to study this on your own, you go to Acts chapter 9 and you can read about it, but you think about all that changed for him. His thought life changed radically in so many different ways. His thoughts about Christ changed 180 degrees. His thoughts about Christianity, the way, as is described in that chapter, uh, changed 180 degrees. His thoughts about Christians, his brothers and sisters changed 180 degrees, and his thoughts about his purpose on this earth and his his future and what God would have him to do changed. And not only did his thought uh, life change, his thinking changed, but his behavior was radically altered in every one of those areas. He now lived to serve Christ. He now lived to participate in and serve the church of Jesus Christ, Christianity. He He now considered individual Christians no longer his enemies to be hailed and thrown into prison, but rather his brothers and his sisters considered himself part of the family of God. And he certainly considered his future changed because he spent the rest of his life doing nothing except serving the Lord Jesus Christ. So you can read more about that in Acts chapter 9 if you want to consider it more fully. But for now, let's just drive a stake in the ground and let's just say, let's use that as an example to say that when a person is saved, they are changed. Their thinking changes. Their living changes. The conversion of a soul affects both the thoughts and behaviors as a Christian. And so I, I, was, I was working through that this past week, getting ready for that prayer meeting. And I realized as I thought about it, and of course when, you, when you're thinking about these kinds of things and you're preparing a sermon, you're thinking about how it applies to you too, at least you ought to be. And so as I was thinking about that, I realized there's another reality among Christians too. I thought about the Apostle Paul and his headlong rush to the finish line. Never stop serving Christ. At least we don't have any evidence of it in Scripture. Scripture would seem to indicate that the Apostle Paul from that moment on is full tilt, run into the finish line until the sword took off his head. His conversion experience so changed him that he never looked back. He never seemed to flag in his relationship. But then I look back over my own life. Kind of a dangerous thing to do sometimes. And you know, I don't exactly see the same experience in my own life. I confess to you that there have been times in my life where I was running. 
And probably you would say the same thing. But I also see periods where I slowed down. I see periods where I stopped entirely. And I even see periods, probably you do too, where I went backwards. And that's what I want us to talk about this morning. You see, there is a term used in Scripture to describe some of those periods, which we all experience. I think we all do. And I think Paul probably did too. We just don't have it in our, in our Bible recorded for us. But there's a term that talks about periods of slackness or even regression in our walk, and it's the term backsliding. Backsliding. And it's not a good thing. And yet it is a reality that most believers face from time to time. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about it in three ways. Let's talk about what the Bible says about it. Let's talk about what it looks like. And then let's see how we can stop it. Those three things. First of all, what does the Bible say about backsliding? Well, first of all, it provides definition. It does use the term, and it provides definition. Easton's Bible Dictionary says that backslide in the Bible means to draw back or apostatize in matters of religion. Holman's Bible Dictionary says backsliding is the term used by the prophets to describe Israel's faithlessness to God. Israel had broken faith with God by serving other gods and by living immoral lives. And, of course, Webster, always the place to go to look for a definition of a word. Webster says backslide means, number one, to lapse morally or in the practice of religion, and number two, to revert to a worse condition. I looked up the Hebrew word. The Hebrew word is pronounced sug. Sug. I asked my rabbi friend how to pronounce that, and that's what he said. Sug. And he said it is defined as to turn away, to be faithless, to be disloyal, to be in a state in which one is disloyal or untrustworthy. In some contexts, the turning implies going to a rear position and so to be retreating. Sug. Backsliding. Uh, my rabbi friend is also my brother-in-law, Kiva. Some of you have met him. And he uh, also said it refers to a heart that departs from the straight and just for fun, I looked the word up in a thesaurus because that's always a good way to come up with a definition of a word. I looked up synonyms in the, in the thesaurus, and it said that the backslide is to recidivate or to relapse. Backsliding is regressing or reverting or defecting or falling away or sinking or sliding back into or giving in to. And so all those things kind of give us an idea, and probably we see ourselves in some of those things I know do I, I know I do. But perhaps the best and simplest explanation of backsliding is found in the last two verses of the book of James. You might want to turn there. The book of James, the very last two verses of the book, he discusses backsliding. He doesn't use the actual word. Actually I don't think the word is found in the New Testament, mostly in Old Testament. But James is talking about backsliding here. James chapter five verse nineteen. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. There's the definition. Notice how he distills it down to a very, very narrow explanation. He describes backsliding as brethren wandering from the truth. Brethren wandering from the truth. In other words, it's saved people that are under discussion here. Brethren. This is not something, unsaved people don't backslide. You've got to be saved if you're going to backslide. So it's saved people. It has nothing to do, backsliding has nothing to do with losing your salvation or anything like that. We, 
We believe that once a person is saved, they're always saved. Saved people are, are the ones who are, talk, are being spoken of here who stray. Saved people who wander from the truth. Brothers or sisters who wandered. One man explained it like this. What is it to wander from the truth? It means loosening our grip on the word of God to the point that we do not hold as firmly as we once did to its teachings. And that always leads to the loosening of the Bible's grip on how we live. Is this not what Robert Robinson wrote about in his wonderful hymn, Come Thou Fount? Oh, to grace, how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, O taken, seal it, seal it for thy courts above. The Bible provides all kinds of sad examples for us of people who fell into this. Remember Lot's wife would be one verse that comes to mind. Peter is also an example. Peter, who was so on fire for Jesus Christ, who said that he was willing to die for Jesus, and then who backslid and denied his Lord. And afterwards, afterwards, even told his, his disciple friends that... Uh, he was going back to fishing in John chapter 21, verse 3. King David is an example of this. David, who was the sweet psalmist of Israel. David, whom God described as the man after his own heart. David, who had so bravely stared down Goliath and other foes in standing for Jehovah God. But he sinned with Bathsheba and Uriah and stayed unrepentant for a period of time before Nathan got in his way and turned him back. King Saul. Israel's first king was an example of this. God said to him, I or said of him, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. He has turned back from following me. That's the definition. He was backslidden. Solomon, the biblically proclaimed wisest man who ever lived, is an example. It was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods. And his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. His heart was turned, and he backslid. The Bible also provides quite a few warnings concerning backsliding and backsliders. Luke chapter 9, verse 62, Jesus said to him, No one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Proverbs 14, 14 says, The backslider in heart will be filled with his own ways, but a good man will be satisfied from above. The Bible warns that there is judgment to come upon the backslider, the iniquity of his covetousness. For the iniquity of his covetousness, I was angry and struck him. I hid and was angry, and he went on backsliding in the way of his heart, Isaiah 57. Jeremiah chapter 2, your own wickedness will correct you, and your backslidings will rebuke you. Jeremiah chapter 5, therefore a lion from the forest shall slay them, a wolf of the desert shall destroy them, a leopard will watch over their cities. Everyone who goes out from there shall be torn in pieces because their transgressions are many. And their backslidings have increased, Jeremiah 5, 6. So the Bible has much to say about this topic, backsliding. But the second thing I wanted to discuss this morning is what does backsliding look like? What does it look like? It's not always obvious or visible, is it? Hosea chapter 11 says, My people are bent on backsliding for me, though they call to the Most High, none at all exalt him. In other words, you know, outwardly they're saying all the right things. But inwardly, heart-wise, not there. Jeremiah chapter 3 and verse number 10, And yet for all this her treacherous sister Judah has not turned to me with her whole heart, but in pretense, says the Lord. We can, we can outwardly 
be projecting something and inwardly not be there. So a Christian can go through the motions and put on a good show for those around who are watching, but the heart is not necessarily right. And heart conditions are what determine this whole matter of backsliding. So it's difficult for us to say what it looks like. But the fact is, sometimes heart conditions do show up in visible behaviors or lack thereof. So let me suggest a few that might indicate backsliding. Let me use myself as an example so no one in the room can get offended at me. I will discuss myself. Those times when I am backsliding or have backslidden, uh, here are the things that I see. I see, first of all, that I'm not reading my Bible the way that I ought to. Or the way that maybe I have when I'm running the way I ought to. And so, therefore, I'm wandering from the truth because I'm not hearing the truth. Can you relate to that? I'm not reading my Bible the way I should. I'm not reading or listening to other sources of spiritual truth. You know, there are times in my life when I'm reading books like a crazy man. I'm interested in preaching. I listen to sermons. I've told you many times when I mow my lawn, I've usually got my headphones on. I'm listening to 15 sermons while I'm mowing. All that kind of stuff, those other times come along when all of a sudden I find I'm not doing that anymore. I'm not listening to other sources of spiritual truth. Same thing is true. We turn away from the truth because we're not hearing the truth. We wander from the truth because we're not listening to the truth. How about this one? I'm not praying as much as I was. None of this is rocket science, is it? It's all pretty simple stuff. You know, there are folks in this room who used to attend prayer meeting on Wednesday night all the time. Never see you anymore. Why is that? It's not just public prayer, though. Personal prayer. We don't pray like we once did. I find that to be the case with me when I'm not running the way I ought to. When I'm not close to someone, communication between me and that someone uh, becomes strained. When we turn away from God, it's difficult to talk to him. I find that I distance myself from the rest of the family, his church, his people, his brothers, his sisters. Because when I'm not close, uh, because uh, when when I'm in that state, their faithfulness only makes mine look less, only makes mine look worse. I don't want to see that. And so I stay away. So I distance myself from the rest of the family. I find that I fill the time that I used to spend with Christ, with his word, with his people in prayer, with other things that tend to draw me even further away. And here's the one. This is the one that's the absolute, undeniable indication of being backslid. This is it. Are you ready? Whenever I have been backslid and someone puts their finger on the problem, I get mad. Does that happen to you? Somebody says, listen here. Why aren't you? reading your Bible. And instead of saying, you're right, I should, you get mad, angry. And we can think of other things, but those are just some thoughts that I would say are true in me and are probably true in you as well of what backsliding looks like. So there's what the Bible says about it. There's what it looks like, at least from my perspective. Now let's look at the last thing. How do I stop it? How do I stop backsliding or how do you? Well, the answer is one word. It's mentioned in Jeremiah. Return. Return. We heard Spurgeon explain this a couple years ago in Old Fashioned Sunday when he preached a sermon called Return. Return. And actually he preached from this very passage. He said the, the answer is to stop and to turn around and to go back. 
to return. Let me read you that passage. Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 6. The prophet Jeremiah said the fix for backsliding is to return. He said, the Lord said also to me in the days of Josiah the king, have you seen what backsliding Israel has done? She has gone up on every high mountain and under every green tree, and there played the harlot. And I said, after she had done all these things, return to me. But she did not return. And her treacherous sister Judah saw it. Then I saw that for all the causes for which backsliding Israel had committed adultery, I had put her away and given her a certificate of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister sister Judah did not fear, but went and played the harlot also. So it came to pass through her casual harlotry that she defiled the land and committed adultery with stones and trees. And yet for all this, her treacherous sister Judah has not turned to me with her whole heart, but in pretense, says the Lord. Then the Lord said to me, backsliding Israel has shown herself more righteous than treacherous Judah. Go and proclaim these words toward the north and say, return, backsliding Israel, says the Lord. I will not cause my anger to fall on you, for I am merciful, says the Lord. I will not remain angry forever. Only acknowledge your iniquity that you have transgressed against the Lord your God and have scattered your charms to alien deities under every green tree, and you have not obeyed my voice, says the Lord. Return, O backsliding children, says the Lord, for I am married to you. I will take you, one from a city and two from a family, and I will bring you to Zion, and I will give you shepherds according to my heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. Return, O backsliding children. That's the answer. That's what Scripture says. Backsliding is a matter of the will. It is simply a refusal to respond to truth and a refusal to repent of sin. Jeremiah chapter 8 and verse number 5, Why has this people slidden back Jerusalem in a perpetual backsliding? They hold fast to deceit and they refuse to return. It's a matter of the will. And the solution, the cure for backsliding is also a matter of the will. Just simply turn around and return. Malachi chapter 3, yet from the days of your fathers you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. And so, if you're like me, we take stock of our walk with Jesus, and we see maybe that we're not running as fast as we once did. Maybe we're not running at all anymore. Maybe we're rather standing still. And maybe we're even drifting, sliding, slipping going backwards. And the cure is to return. As Spurgeon said, stop, turn around, go back to where you got off track. There's a wonderful illustration of it in the Old Testament. It's in the life of Elisha. Let me read you a little passage from 2 Kings, because this is what it looks like. Uh, The sons of the prophets said to Elisha, see now the place where we dwell with you is too small for us. Please let us go to the Jordan and let every man take a beam from there and let us make there a place where we may dwell. So he answered, go. Then one said, Please consent to go with your servants. And he answered, I will go. So he went with them. And when they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. But as one was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water. And he cried out and said, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. So the man of God said, Where did it fall? And he showed him the place. So he cut off a stick and threw it in there, and he made the iron float. And therefore he said, Pick it up for yourself. So he reached out his hand and took it. Did you see that? Elisha said, where did it fall? Where did you lose it? That's where you're going to find it again. Reach out right there and pick it back up. Return there and get back on track. 
And this is what returning sounds like. Jeremiah chapter 14 and verse number 7. O Lord, though our iniquities testify against us, do it for your name's sake. Our backslidings are many. We have sinned against you. That's what it sounds like. Confession. Repentance. Interestingly, we said that James had the best definition of backsliding, I think perhaps in the New Testament, or maybe even in the Bible. I think he also has something interesting to say here. He agreed with all of this, that the solution is to return. But he comes at it from a different way. He comes at it from the opposite end of the spectrum. Remember what he said? James chapter 5, verse 19, Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who... Uh, turns a sinner from the error of his way, will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. You see, James added a different twist to it. He added the responsibility that not only that we have to return ourselves if we find ourselves in this state, but he added the responsibility that we as believers have to turn somebody else if we see them in that state. His whole emphasis is on me trying to help you, you trying to help me to avoid this kind of thing and to turn Back, We have this responsibility to help the backsliding brother or sister. We are to get in their way. We are to stop them in their tracks. We are to interpose ourselves upon their lives in such a way that they will turn back. Think about some of the earlier examples. Think about that example of Peter denying the Lord and going back to fishing. Until, that is, Jesus interposed himself by means of a breakfast on the seashore, and asked his famous three questions, Peter, do you love me? Go feed my sheep. And turned him around. David sinned in the matter of Bathsheba and Uriah. He stayed unrepentant for a period of time, until, that is, Nathan got in his way and turned him back with his direct and in-your-face, thou art the man, speech. King Saul was so backslid that God was grieved that he had made him king. And he decided to replace him. But King Saul had a friend and a mentor and a pastor in Samuel. And Samuel was grieved by Saul's slide. And he cried out to the Lord all night for Samuel 15, verse 11. In that case, Samuel's efforts didn't work. Saul didn't turn around. Just like our efforts to help a sinning brother or sister or backsliding brother or sister may not always work. But like Samuel, we grieve over them. We pray for them. Pray with them. We get in the way of their slide, even if it doesn't always work. So I would suggest that the way to stop backsliding is threefold. First and foremost, we need to stop it if we see it in ourselves. And we do that by turning around and going back to where we got off track. We return. We repent. We reboot. Secondly, we need to do everything we can to stop it in others if we see it. Jump in the path in front of them. Wave them down. Mention it to them. Get in their way. Get in their face. We need to see that it is a matter of life and death and help them. And thirdly, and this is preventative more than curative, I think we need to stick with brothers and sisters who will get in our way. That's why we gather. That's why we hang around other believers. We want them to do that. Surround ourselves with such. So I would ask you this morning, do you see yourselves? In any of this, boy, I surely do see myself in some of it. Perhaps this morning some of you need to step out and come pray for yourselves. Stop your backsliding, turn around and come back to the God who loves you. 
And perhaps some of us today need to get in the way of a backsliding friend or family member who they know is drifting, who they know is backsliding. Perhaps some need to step out today and come pray for them as Samuel prayed for Saul. Our heart ought to be grieved when we have a brother or sister in that state. Because whether it's you or it's someone you care about that is sliding, know this, God loves backsliders. He still loves backsliders. He wants to heal the backslider's heart. Hosea chapter 14 and verse 4, I, I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned away from him. So come and let us return to the Lord. He has torn, but he will heal us. He has stricken, but he will bind us up. And let us pray with the psalmist, that verse that we read at the very beginning, Uphold my steps in your paths, that my footsteps may not slip.